So I was at a friend's birthday. We were celebrating at a bakery. We had this waiter and he was great. And I think the thing that was most unique about him is that he was not only just checking on us, but there was something unique in his personality where he went further than the normal, would you like a refill on your, your drink or can I get you anything else? He actually was very interested in why we were there and he was asking questions to, um, to us as well. But then I started realizing and I was just discerning that why is this? Why is he opening up so much to us? And so I just, you know, asked the question and about how did he come to Indianapolis and that type of thing. And then he started opening up and felt like he, you know, wanted a new start. So those are, those are little words to me that sometimes mean someone was in conflict at some point in their life and then they came here. And I asked how he was enjoying his time here in Indianapolis and he said it was great. He was meeting some new friends and, uh, but he was meeting some close fellowship. He was using some words that for me were Christianese. I don't know, there was something about it that my heart just started kind of considering, you know, who this young man might be. I just said to him, I said, well, have you been, been able to find any churches here that you were interested in getting involved with? And he actually started telling us uh, how much that he did miss that at home and that he had not found a church here and he was hoping to have fellowship. Uh, but again, I knew there was probably more to the story. And then he just started telling my friends and myself about his parents. One of the first things he did was he described them as incredibly religious and he has struggled to connect with people and he moved away from home. I just listened and I told him that there were so many wonderful uh, bodies of believers here and that if he ever wanted to get together and talk, you know that I'm happy to be a listening ear and to be a new friend here. We exchanged phone numbers and the next morning I received a text message and he wondered about the churches that I had in mind. You know, I don't think we realize sometimes the impact that we can have just by being a person willing to talk to someone. Where my head's up, smiles on my face, looking to meet someone. And I think because of that, God has provided people that need someone to talk to. Thank you, Donna, for sharing your story. Um, I don't know if you were listening. Actually, can we just say thank you real quick? I don't know how well you were listening to that, but she was modeling active listening. Today is all about discovering stories. We're going to get to that here in just a moment. But as we think about discovering stories, I want to tell you a story. It's about a guy named Mikolas. That's hard for me to say, so I'm going to call him Mike. I don't think that's a nickname that he would have had, especially in his day and time, but... Uh, for the sake of brevity, I'm calling him Mike. So Mike is a dock worker. He's been working this job for a while. He's been married to his wife for a while. They have six kids. That's a lot of kids. But that would have actually been fairly common for the day and the age that Mike lived in. Let me tell you just a little bit. Mike knew when he was a younger man, he knew how to tie one on, so to speak. He knew what it was like to go out to the bar with his guy friends. But Mike has been married for a while now. He's, he's settled down a bit. 
He's still a bit rough around the edges. He knows how to use language to his benefit, if you know what I mean. He works at the docks. It's a port city, Thessalonica, the Aegean Sea. The world comes to his city. It's a city of about 250,000 people, which in the first century, that's a big city. The world comes to Thessalonica. Sometimes, maybe more aptly speaking, the world goes through Thessalonica. Merchants would show up. They'd set up shop. They'd sell their wares. Oftentimes, though, people would arrive on a ship. Mike would help unload their ship. He would, they would uh, refuel, gather supplies, and they'd take off again. But news of the empire spread quickly through Thessalonica. Let's talk about spirituality. Mike knew what it was like to worship, but the gods he was worshiping, well, they were the Roman, the Greco-Roman gods of the age, like Dionysus, um, like Aphrodite, like Zeus. And Mike knew what it was like to go to these individual temples and throw a few bucks in the plate and honor the gods. Why? Well, because the gods were fickle. You had to appease the gods, kind of keep them on your side or at least not angry with you. Mike was curious about bigger things in life. One day he's unloading a ship and... Uh, a guy gets off the ship. He wasn't impressive to look at. Kind of a hook nose, kind of a squat dude, if you know what I mean. His name is Paul. Skip a couple days later. News travels fast through Thessalonica. Mike heard news of Paul and that Paul was making friends everywhere he went. Mike met Paul. They had a conversation. Mike was intrigued by some of the things that Paul is telling about. Basically, he's telling his own personal story. It's a fantastic story. There are all kinds of points to his story. He had been traveling all over the empire. But his story begins, at least the part that Mike was intrigued with, with a road trip. He was on his way to the city of Damascus. Mike knew about this city. And Paul is traveling down the road, and a bright light shines, and it knocks him down on his can, and a voice speaks from this light, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, his name was Saul before it was Paul, why, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting people who are following me? Paul, as he's telling his story, talks about Jesus, the God-man. This perks up Mike's ears. He knows all about the heroes of the Greco-Roman mythology. He knows a bit about what this, at least he thinks he does. But Jesus, Jesus is a different story entirely. Jesus uh, performed miracles, and literally thousands of people were eyewitnesses to these miracles. As he asks stories and confirms the stories that Paul is telling other people are talking about this Jesus as well. He was killed for the things he was saying, for his message. He was buried, and as the story Mike hears goes, he was raised from the grave by God three days later. It started a movement. 
Mike is curious to know more. He asks good questions, and Paul hears his questions and responds in kind. This births more questions. There's a conversation going back and forth here, and something begins to happen in Mike's heart. If this is true, then what about this, and what about this? And before you know it, faith begins to be birthed out of curiosity. Belief is born. And the more questions he asks and the more he journeys together with Paul, by the way, Paul was only there for about a month. But before he left, before Mike helped load up his ship in the Aegean Sea and he sailed off to his next location, before that happened, Mike, his wife, their six kids, they're baptized right there in the Aegean Sea within line of sight to the docks that Mike works on. It's an amazing story, isn't it? That story is repeated hundreds, uh, thousands, no, 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 millions of times. Within a short time span of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, the birth of the early church, 120 people are in an upper, are, are gathered together, and Jesus shows up and speaks in a powerful way, and the Holy Spirit moves them, and people are baptized into Christ. From that moment forward, just a few years, there are millions of people that begin to follow the way. Jesus, here's my question. It happened then. Why not now? It happened there. Why not here? Carmel, Indiana. Fishers, Indiana. Westfield. Noblesville, Sheridan, I don't know, Indianapolis, wherever you live, why not here at Venture Christian Church? Why not in your neighborhood? Why not in your workplace, maybe in your family? Why not here? Why not now? We've been looking at a passage of Scripture. I've been throwing this out each week the last several weeks. Let's look at it again. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we have a short period of time here. Let's invest wisely. You have one life to invest. Who is the one life that you're investing in? Because one life touches one life, touches one life. Mike... He's a chain and a story that God told, and, and it came to him, and then he tells others that before you know it, God's message sp uh, is spread all over the globe. And the same thing is called to happen today. This journey that we're on, there's a call to action on it, by the way. This is a seven-week journey that we're doing together. We started this, oh, several weeks ago. Perhaps you remember I talked about a passage in the New Testament, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was very clear. He could not have been more clear. He said, you're the light of the world. He says this, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people take a lamp and light it and put it under a bowl. No, 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 no. They put it on a lampstand in a prominent place in the house so that the whole house may be seen by it. And then he says this, just in case you missed the point, he says, you are the light of the world. Not you will be the light of the world or you should be the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. 
In the same way, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they may see your good works. Why? So that they may praise your Father in heaven. Here in two weeks' time, we're going to have a moment in our service where we're going to kind of put this into action. A moment of declaration, if you will. I'm going to invite you to take a light bulb on that day. We're going to provide all this for you. You don't have to show up with a light bulb, but you're going to write some initials on there. Just initials of the one. As you've been praying, and I hope you have over the last several weeks, and as the Holy Spirit has been nudging you, as he's been whispering in your ear, who is the one that you are investing in? You have one life to invest. Who's the one life you're investing in? You're going to write their initials on that, and you're going to light up in a metaphorical way and hopefully a literal way. You're seeking to light up their world, not with your light necessarily, but with his light that shines through you. That's in two weeks' time. Real quick, let's define who is your one. Who inside your sphere of influence should you be aiming at? I've got a graphic for this. Your circle of influence, this could be family, friends, neighbors, workplace, the community at large that you live in. Think of this in terms of maybe three tiers. Tier three, you have a great aunt. She does not walk with Jesus. You've been praying for her for years, and whenever you see her, like Christmas and Thanksgiving, you hope to be a light in her life. That's great. Keep praying for that great aunt. I love that. We want to pray her into heaven. We want action steps that move her toward heaven. She's tier three. Don't discount her, but let's move up to tier two. This could be a coworker, somebody that you see a little bit more with frequency than your great aunt. Maybe you have a Zoom call with them, but they live a couple of time zones away, and maybe you are on a Zoom call with them occasionally, but you really can't have the chance to sit down over a Starbucks with them to discuss the finer points of life, to listen to their stories as they tell you. That would be tier two. What's tier one? Well, tier one might be the neighbor, might be the coworker that you've been walking past for years now. You know that they're far from God. They're walking far from God. But they're a spiritual explorer, and you know that you could invest a bit in them. That would be tier one. I just described my one, by the way. And here in a couple weeks, when I write initials on um, a light bulb and plug it in. I'm going to write the initials M period A period. And I'm going to pray for that individual. I'm going to pray that God would use me to shine light into their world. Let's put up our graphic. We talked about this last week. We're aiming at this idea of 3D1. This is movement that starts with developing friendships. By the way, it's okay for Christians to have friends that are not Christians. Actually, it's encouraged. Here's the thing. The longer we live inside of the holy huddle or the frozen chosen, the bubble of Christianity, the longer we live inside of this, the less friends that we have that are outside the walls of Christianity. That's not good. 
that really hurts evangelism. So step one is we develop friendships. Step two is we take those friendships and we discover stories. We're going to talk about that today. Next week, we're going to discern next steps. What do we do with this? How do we take action steps? Develop friendships, discover stories, discern next steps. Today is all about discovering stories. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, go to week five of that book. I hope that you walked in with the One Life booklet. Open up to the section that says sermon notes of week five, and I want you to write a few things down. You're going to discuss some of these with your small group this week. Here's the first thing. Please write this down. Develop friendships through authenticity and love. These words are loaded, authenticity and love. They're carefully chosen words, and I hope you're paying special attention to those. We're going to pull some of this straight out of a passage of Scripture. You met Mike a bit earlier. Let's see what's underneath the story of Mykolos, can we? I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you want to reach in front of you, that seat in front of you, and grab that Bible from there, I'm on page 1,186 of that Bible. Fair warning, that's a slightly different translation. I'm going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. So if you've got one of those fancy Bible apps that you can pick any translation you want, know that I'm reading from the Christian, Christian Standard Bible. Okay, let me give you the background of Thessalonica. I mentioned earlier it was a busy port city, about 250,000 in Paul's day, in Mike's day. Today, it's a city of over a million people, but 250,000 then would have been a big city. It was a strategic lo uh, location. It was a big, thriving metropolis in the ancient world. Religion in that city was very pluralistic. That's pretty important to know. Archaeologists tells us that they worshipped many Greco-Roman deities, I mentioned a few in the story, Dionysus, Aphrodite, Demeter, Zeus. The year is AD 51, and Paul is heading there from Philippi some 90 miles away. He's run into some trouble at Philippi. You could read about this in the book of Acts. He actually gets jailed for his message. God uses that story in some powerful ways. The Philippian jailer, his whole family come to faith through Paul developing friendships, discovering stories, discerning next steps. But let's go back to Thessalonica, shall we? In chapter 2, verse 9, we're not going to read this verse together, but you can look it up if you'd like. There's a phrase in there. I love this phrase. It says, they tell how you turned to God from idols. Who's they? Well, these people that tell us stories about what happened after the one-month period of time that Paul was there. A whole wave of faith happens because one life impacts one life and it impacts one life. Mike couldn't shut up. He told stories about how Paul had impacted his life. People are worshiping other gods, false gods. But one life impacting another life, they hear about Jesus People turn away from those gods. Before we're too critical about the ancient world and their false idols, we have them today as well. An idol is anything that you place above the one true creator God of the universe in terms of priority in your life. You have idols. I struggle with idols. Your one life struggles with idols. Things like money. 
That's an idol in our culture. Consumerism might be the god of the day. Success can become an idol. Pleasure can be an idol. Popularity, the idea of being accepted, can be an idol. Prestige, power, even good things in your life, like family members, they could be idols if we put them in priority above God. Well, how did it happen? How did Paul and others influence people like Mike to follow Jesus? How did that happen? Well, if you're taking notes, write these down. Here's what happened. Here's a call to action we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We unselfishly, we unselfishly seek the best for others. Here's where we see this. Verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered... And were treated outrageously in Philippi. I told you you can read about that in the book of Acts. As you know, we were emboldened by our God. I love that phrase. To speak the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. In other words, he's saying, listen, we made a difference. We had an impact. You know we did. Their visit was just that. It was a visit. It lasted about a month, and it had a profound impact on these folks' lives forever. They'll never forget the day that Paul walked into their city. One month. And as we dig into this passage, understand that sometimes when you're a difference maker, it happens in a very short period of time. Sometimes you don't have years to spend with people. Other times, though, it's stepping into their lives and running a marathon together with them. Here's the question. Are you willing to unselfishly step into some messy lives? Here's a true statement. Friendship takes time and sacrifice. You know this to be true. Pick any relationship in your life. My goodness, Dawn and I are gearing up this next year. We'll celebrate 28 years of marriage. Friendship, deep relationship, in love takes time and it takes sacrifice. It's true of marriage. It's true of any significant relationship in your life. In your journey with your one life, friendship takes time and it takes sacrifice. Let's keep reading, shall we? Verse 2, check this out. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel to you in spite of great opposition. We're putting our faith into action. They had all sorts of challenges in Philippi. But he said it didn't matter. We got to come and speak the good news to you. Bottom line, guys, he's saying we're all in. Whatever it takes. Here's the question. Where is God calling you to be unselfish and to seek out the best in the lives of your one? A spiritual explorer, explorer that lives in proximity to you. Paul and his co-workers really stuck out their necks for these Thessalonians. Why did they do that? Well, here you go. We pull this from the text. We have pure motives in reaching out to others. Don't question my motives, he's saying. Let's look in verse uh, 3. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impunity or an intent to deceive. We're not trying to sell you something. Mike saw plenty of charlatans. He unloaded their stuff at the docks. Maybe traveling itinerant 
philosophers or gurus or merchants trying to bait and sell their wares and then leave with a little bit of the Thessalonians' fortunes. I watched a movie several years ago. It's called The Big Kahuna. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. It's a fascinating story, especially with what we're talking about right now in the life of our church. The Big Kahuna. It's about three salesmen. They're at a sales conference. They're trying to land the Big Kahuna, the big sale. The characters in this movie, it's like a two-act play. You've got Kevin Spacey, he plays Larry Mann. You've got Danny DeVito, he plays Phil Cooper. And you've got Peter, I never know how to pronounce his last name, Fascinelli, as Bob Walker. And it's kind of like a bad joke. You've got an atheist, maybe agnostic. You've got a backslidden Christian. And you've got an on-fire-with-his-faith young man. It's like three guys walk into a bar. The third one ducks. It's a bad joke. But in that story, it's basically this whole, hey, listen, what are we doing here with our faith? As we share our faith, are we salesmen or are we doing lives together with people? There's a profound moment in the story where the atheist, the agnostic character, looks at the on-fire Christian and this is what he says. It doesn't matter whether you're selling Jesus. Boy, that's a scary phrase. It doesn't matter whether you're selling Jesus or Buddha or civil rights or how to make money in real estate with no money down. That doesn't make you a human being. It makes you a marketing rep. If you want to talk to somebody honestly, as a human being, ask him about his kids. Find out what his dreams are, just to find out for no other reason. Because as soon as you lay your hands on a conversation to steer it, it's not a conversation anymore. It's a pitch. And you're not a human being. You're a marketing rep. We have pure motives in reaching out to others. Listen, we're not selling Jesus here. No, 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 no. We're doing life together with people. And if we really believe what we've invested our lives in, we're just simply, we said this last week, one beggar showing another beggar, hey, come here, here's where we find food. You're hungry, I'm hungry, this is where the bread of life is. We're not selling Jesus, we're sharing Jesus. Verse 4, instead, just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, that's a loaded phrase, isn't it? We are entrusted with the good news, the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. So we speak not to please people, uh-uh, but rather God who examines our hearts. We're not selling anything here. We're simply sharing our faith. Verse 5. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. We're not selling anything. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Come on, guys. You know this, he's saying. You know us well. We weren't trying to butter you up or to pull a fast one on you or to make a quick buck. Lord knows we never used a smokescreen to win a popularity contest. We're not crazy. We're not trying to take advantage of people or to get something from them. We're not trying to sell them something. We're not trying to trick people. We're not looking to be celebrities. We're not trying to get selfies that are going to make us look good. We're just trying to please God by obeying him. 
And he commands us to love our neighbors and to do good to those in need, to befriend strangers, to show outrageous kindness, and to share the love of Jesus in our actions and in our words to those we know. So, authenticity and genuineness is huge in developing friendships with spiritual explorers. Authenticity and love. When I get to the end of my life, and I die, and I'm laid out in the casket. There are some things I want people to say at my funeral. First of all, I want them to say he had a true faith in God. Second, he loved his family and his neighbors. And third, I want them to say, check it out, he's breathing. <laughs> I don't want that, by the way. If I'm with Jesus, don't call me back for some trick uh, or even a great story to tell at parties later. Authenticity. Love. Write this down. We get involved and we show heartfelt love. This is how we live with friendships that we're developing. We get involved and we show heartfelt love. You, you memorized this verse last week. If you're tracking along in those journals that we've shared with you, the One Life journals, you memorized this passage. This is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles. Instead, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother nurses her own children. That's a beautiful picture. That's involved. Paul, by the way, was a man's man. Paul was chosen personally by Jesus Christ to be an apostle to the Gentiles, but he didn't throw his weight around. He was like a mom to those he met. He was a masculine dude. But you see there he's using language that's showing heartfelt love. He's nurturing his one. He's showing deep personal caring toward his one life. He knew that there's a tenderness to this thing. There's personal connection. There's affection. And he's saying, listen, I'm all in. He's saying people aren't projects. People are not tasks. People aren't machines. People are people. People are human beings who need and want to be loved and nurtured and fed and comforted and have the reassuring presence of a mom. Just last night, just last night, I was asking my wife, one of her kids had been sick for a bit, and she went and checked on him at college. I said, how's he doing? She said, he just, uh, he just needed his mom. There's something to that, isn't there? We need our mom. We need those kind of people who have proven themselves over and over again that they really do care deeply about what's going on inside of us. Your one life needs that from you. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you become dear to us. We're not trying to sell you something. No, 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 no. We're sharing with you what's incredibly valuable to us. And we want it to spill over and out of us onto your life as well. Paul didn't view people as projects or targets. He wasn't standing on the street corner yelling at them about their sins. No, he was doing life together with them. This is what difference makers do. We invest, we love, we connect. Let me ask you this question. Who needs you to love them? Who needs you just to care? 
Maybe you don't have all the answers. Of course you don't. Maybe you don't have the money to help them. That's fine. Maybe you aren't called to solve all of their problems, but can you just, can you just love them? Can you give them a hug or a reassuring word? Can you step into their lives and make a difference simply because you care? By the way, to do this, this requires three basic ingredients. Being nearby, finding common interests, and accepting people where they are. Maybe this is why we talk about three tiers earlier. You want to aim for tier one because you can connect with people that are nearby, especially if you have some common interests and you have the opportunity to grow and facil facilitate friendship there. And accept people right where they're at. Let's put up our graphic again of kind of what we're trying to pull off here. We're developing friendships. We're discovering stories. Next week, we're discerning next steps. I want to drill down on the how of discovering stories just for a bit. If you're taking notes, write this statement down. Discover their stories through sincere interest and great questions. We're not the best at this sometimes. Do you remember Donna's story earlier? Active listening. I mean, oftentimes when somebody else is talking, we're doing this. God would want us to do this. We're over here talking ourselves, maybe not listening, or even while they're talking, if it looks like we're listening, oftentimes we're trying to figure out, well, how do I respond to that? What's the next thing that I'm going to say? We're not great at active listening. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Become a great listener. Become a great listener. I, I heard a story just this past week. Melanie, she told me this story. She's fairly new to faith. Actually, she's just made a decision not long ago to follow Jesus. We got to baptize her at the last worship on the lawn, she and her whole family. And because God is doing this cool thing in her life right now, she's telling everybody she talks to, God's doing this thing in my heart. She's having a conversation with her hairdresser. You know how this works. You're in the chair. They're a captive audience. They're there. She's just saying, hey, this is what God's doing in my world right now. The hairdresser is listening and starts telling her story and asking questions by the way, if you're praying, pray for Julie. Melanie's telling this story, and all the time she's talking, all I can think is, oh, you're doing a great job with active listening. You're discovering Julie's stories, and you're actually listening to her as she's sharing with you the concerns of life. And there's some great gospel opportunities that are happening right there inside of that relationship. I heard a speaker a few months ago. Her name is Vanessa Van Edwards. If you want to learn how to be a great listener and how to ask better questions, you should hit her website. Her website is uh, it's scienceofpeople.com scienceofpeople.com. And she basically talks about three different tiers of good questions. The first aren't so good. It's the how are you question. She says ditch that. You don't get anywhere with a how are you question because you get a trite answer and response. But she talks about how these different tiers of, of how people interact. You've got level one, these are general traits. Level two is personal concerns. Level three is your self-narrative. And she's got all these questions that go along with these things. Like, what's your biggest goal right now? Or, are you learning anything right now? What book or TV or movie character is most like you? What's been weighing on your heart and your mind? And how can I help you with that? What's your story? Where are you most misunderstood? 
What, what is something that people don't know about you? What forces shape your personality and made you who you are? Maybe who's your hero? What's your proudest moment in life? When you ask good questions, people answer. Listen. Become a great listener. We're not great at this sometimes. But the Bible is clear in James chapter 1, verse 19. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hear me. Your one life. Spiritual uh, explorers that are inside of your sphere of influence. There are a whole lot of spiritual explorers who would love to share what they think with you about matters of faith and spirituality. There's a whole lot of folks that would love to tell you what's going on inside their heart, but they just can't find Christians who will be quiet long enough to allow them to speak. This is what we're doing. Maybe this is what God would have us do. If you want to discover stories, sometimes step one is just to shut up and to listen. Verse 20 following that passage in James. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Can I just say this? Christians right now, we're angry about a whole bunch of stuff. We look at culture and we say, oh, culture is sliding downhill. And it stirs us up and we're angry and we're frustrated and we spend so much time saying this is what's wrong. People take that personally. Be careful. Listen Slow to speak, slow to be angry. How about this one? Patiently seek to understand. Become a great listener and seek to understand. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 5 says this, A person's thoughts are like water in a deep well, but someone with understanding can draw them out. You've heard it said this way, a restatement of that proverb would be a newer axiom that says, Seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. I had a moment several years ago, I was scrolling through my social media feed, uh, you know those memories that pop up. We were on spring break. I know that some of you are probably joining us from a distance today because maybe you're on spring break or you're gearing up for it. We were in New York City, 2016, and it was fall break. Back then we were uh, slave to the school system, and so we had two weeks from Noblesville that we could take our kids and go do something. We were in uh, New York City walking around. Actually, I bought these shoes that I'm wearing today, I think six years ago. I've gotten my money's worth out of these shoes. On that trip in New York City, I got a steal on them. But we did all the tourist stuff like, uh, you know, we saw the Statue of Liberty and we looked at all the stuff, walked through Central Park. One of the days on that trip, we served with an organization that we knew of called New York City Relief. We spent the day working with the relief bus. I've got a picture of what was going on here. My daughter, you can barely see her up in there. She is, I think she's handing out, this is about food, clothing, and prayer on the side of the bus. I think she's handing out fresh underwear and fresh socks. You can understand that those would be valuable to folks who are experiencing homelessness. I had just finished a conversation with a gentleman named James. James had just told me this fantastic story about how he was like six foot eight and used to be a uh, NBA player or had some connection with the NBA. I believed him. He was like this tall and his, his hands, it looked like he could palm my face and carry me off. I'm looking past him and I see one of my boys turn and come running toward me. 
And um, the look on his face, I know what's going on. Because I looked past him and I saw what he had just seen. I had told my kids just a few days before this as we were rolling into Manhattan, I said, hey, I've got a prize at the end of this trip for whoever sees the most interesting thing. I was not thinking about people when I said that. He had just seen her. Her name is Solara. She had a tattoo on her forehead. Do you know the symbols, the male symbol and the female symbol? She had that tattooed together on her forehead. Captured my attention. I had just seen her, so had he. And he's making a beeline to me. Dad, I win, I win, I win. (laughs) She greeted me with this phrase. I'm a 39-year-old going through puberty. She was born XXY. Female, male, it's called Kleinfelder syndrome. It was wrecking my nice, neat theology of how we're born and identity. I sat down and had a conversation with her. Challenged me, if I can be perfectly honest with you. She was going through a sex reassignment surgery. Maybe not reassignment. She was born with both genitalia. One was They were both underdeveloped. But she was going through this right now, and she had all kinds of questions about what in the world are we doing here? Who is this God you speak of? Why would you do this? What's he think about me? I hope she heard clearly from me. You're a child of God. He loves you. He desperately wants relationship with you. I didn't spend a lot of time with her that day, and I hope that our conversation was just one of many conversations that God uses, and I believe he does this, to pursue individuals with his love, with his grace, with his mercy, with his forgiveness, with his acceptance, and his holiness, and his righteousness, and his discipleship and desire to follow him in all of the commands he asks of us. Seek first to understand, then to be understood, and respond to spiritual questions with gentleness and respect. First Peter says it this way, but have reverence for Christ in your hearts and honor him as Lord. And then the verse goes on and says, be ready. Be ready at all times to answer anyone who asks you to explain the hope that you have, but, but do it with gentleness. And respect. Did you hear week two of this series where you hear for the Spiritual Explorers panel? Listen, time, place, and tone have a lot to do with discovering stories. Listening in the right time. Speaking truth only in the right place. And the tone with which you talk is everything. Be ready, but do it with gentleness and respect. This is not about backing up the dump truck and waiting for the moment to just dump the gospel onto them. Uh-uh. We're running a marathon together with our ones. Toward that end, we want to make sure that everybody has the opportunity to do this and to do this well. We're going to do training. I mentioned this last week. All through the month of November, do me a favor right now. Pull out your smartphone. Aim it at the QR code that's going to pop up on the screen next to me right now. And sign up for one of those trainings. I dare you. 
Come and be a part of that. We're going to coach each other up on this. We're going to hold one another accountable. We're going to encourage one another because we're serious about this as a church. We're going to do this, and we're going to do it well. Is God nudging you? Who is it inside of your sphere of influence that he wants to use you to impact for him? You have one life to invest. Who's the one life that you're investing in? We're going to respond with worship right now. Would you stand up with me? I want to pray for what God is doing in our hearts right now. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that we have a life to invest. And we thank you that you've given us all of the tools that we need to shine our light. We're a city on a hill, and we're not supposed to be hiding it. So, Lord, as we think about that one life that you've called us to invest in, Lord, nudge us. Move us. We thank you for grace. We thank you for what we have. Remind us that it's a crime to keep it to ourselves. And it's your name, in Jesus' name we pray.